Man, I'm so excited about this series. We're continuing our series. Um, we're continuing our series, uh, a look at love. A look at love. And today, we're going to talk around the idea, all you need is love. We've talked about God's love for us, what that really looks like. We've talked about our love for Him, what that really looks like. And now we're going to talk about our love for others that God wants to do in and through us. So uh, that's what we're going to cover today. So turn to your neighbor, look him right in the eye, and say, all you need is love. John chapter 3, verse 16, I'm reading out of the NIV. You can read with me. Everyone read. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then I'm going to read another scripture, First uh, John chapter 3, verse 16, what I find very interesting that it's the same text in First John. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we should also lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for all that you do and are doing in and through us. We ask you to change us today, God. Help us not to stay the same. Help us to be different when we leave today. Let your word get down in our heart and move in us. Change us, transform us, renew us so that we can be everything you've called us to be, God. And Lord, I just, I just teach your word today with the utmost humility and respect for you and for your word. I ask you to use me. I ask you to use me, God. And I ask you to open every heart and every life to receive what you would have to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. You can be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're looking good. A few years ago, a lot of years ago, many years ago, I was at Disney World. And I was just a kid. It was probably... Nine, seven, eight, nine, ten. I don't even remember. It's been that long ago. And uh, <clears throat> I was with my dad and my, my mom and dad and my two sisters. And we, uh, we had just gotten through the day of Disney World. I mean, it was, at, it was Magic Kingdom. We had enjoyed it from front to back, top to bottom. We just did everything we could do. And it was absolutely a blast. And so we were leaving. And some, some of you know, if you've been to Disney World, there's two ways to get to Magic Kingdom and two ways to get out of Magic Kingdom. One way to get to Magic Kingdom is the tram, and the other way is the ferry. And so we took the tram over to get there in the morning. We wanted to take the ferry back. We just thought it would be fun. So we get on the ferry. We're, we're driving, uh, we're floating, whatever you're doing in a ferry. And we're headed over uh, from Magic Kingdom to the parking lot to go back to our hotel. And we had just had a day. We were exhausted. And, and something weird happened. We got to the dock. The ferry pulled up to the dock. And when it hit the dock, what's supposed to happen is someone who's uh, 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 on the ferry that works for Disney is supposed to take the rope and hook it to uh, the post uh, to cause the ferry to set secure and, and, and stay there at the dock. And what happened is that failed to happen. We don't know why, but what happened is then that, that they put the lid down or whatever, the, the ramp down over the ferry and over the dock that you then walked over. So what no one realizes is people are walking over, uh, you know, probably several hundred people on this ferry walking over this ramp, but nothing had been secured. 
So as the, as the water is still bouncing from just the waves and the ferry motor and all of that, um, we, 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 head, uh, we head to the, to the deal. And what, what does, no one realizes because the ramp is over is that the boat is backing away from the dock. So there were people of all kinds, older people, younger people, and there was this one man and uh, supposedly his grandmother and then several people with them. And, and, and uh, as they were going across the, the ramp or the, the whatever you want to call it, the deck there that connected the boat to the, the dock, it was invisibly pulling away. And when she, the lady in the wheelchair that her son or, or grandson was pushing, just the thing pulls completely away and down she goes into the water. And not only her, but everybody who was on the ramp. So 20, 30, 40 people in the water immediately. And the only thing you can think is that are those propellers still turning or are they in neutral? What's happening? What's going on? And without a thought, people started diving in. Never even thought about what's happening, what's going on down there. But all they knew is there's a lady that needs help. There's kids that need help. There's other people that need help. I'm going in. And there were family members, most likely, just jumping in. They never even gave a thought to it. People were just taking their stuff out of their pockets and jumping in and grabbing people and pulling them back and grabbing people and pulling them back and grabbing people and pulling them back. And finally, it, it, it took a long time to get that lady with the, the, the wheelchair out. But finally, she got out. They had to call an ambulance. Me and my dad sat there and watched the whole thing. My dad was getting ready to take his stuff off and jump in. But there were so many people in there, there was no need for him to do that. And it was just utter chaos. But it struck me at 10 and still strikes me today that without even thinking about it, they jumped in. Now, that is a picture of what love is. Now, now why? We, we think of love in this context, and we've talked a lot about it, but we think of love in this context of feelings and emotions and sappiness and romance and all of that. And that's okay because love does evoke feelings. But the truth is, the truth is love is an action and it's a decision. And love as an action and decision does one thing. It defers to others. You know, the problem we have with love isn't that we don't really get it. It's that we're just too selfish to do it. Oh, come on. Don't, uh, don't shout me down. We just, we're just, yeah. by nature, humans are selfish. By nature, we just want our way. How many could admit to that? How many could say today your spouse is absolutely just selfish? How many, no, don't raise your hand, man. That ain't right. <laughs> you need to listen to the whole question before you raise your hand. L listen, listen to me. We are, we're born that way because we're born in sin. We're born thinking of ourselves. We're born, we, we were watching a little sitcom the other day, Reba. I don't know if y'all ever watched that sitcom, Reba. It's pretty stupid. But anyway, we watched it and it's funny. It has funny parts and there was one thing that was happening. She, she goes through this deal and talking to her daughter and she says, you know, there's thousands of stars that surround thousands of planets that surround thousands of suns, all surrounding one center point in the universe. And that's point is not you and I think a lot of times we get this feeling now I want listen to what I'm about to say very carefully we get this feeling that life is a lot about us 
Even in our faith, even in our worship, even in our expression of believing God, trusting God, somehow we can turn that whole thing, instead of being about Jesus, his purpose, his plan, somehow it becomes us in the center and Jesus revolving around us. We mistaken what love really is. And here's what we've done as a society. Instead of just accepting that love is this and I'm this, so I need to change myself in the context of love to become more loving. Instead, what we've done is we've redefined love to fit our selfishness. Because now in our world, in our society, the first thing they tell you, love yourself. Love you, love you. Now, don't misunderstand me. The best gift you can give to someone else is a healthy you. You do need to take care of you. But you know what I find? I find the more time we spend trying to take care of us and think about us, the more dysfunctional we get. Because then everything is about me. It's about me. It's about me. It's about how I respond to things. It's about how people respond to me. It's about offense and um, upset and mad. And why isn't the world more like I want it to be? And why didn't that person do more what I think they should do? And it's not about love at all. It's about me. And, and what we've done is we've said, let's turn love around and redefine it as being all about yourself. You got to love yourself. You got to take care of yourself. got to be about yourself. I've told this story before. I heard it from John Maxwell. It's a great story, but there's a, a lady that went to a pastor and she was really mad at her husband. She didn't want to be married to him anymore. She said, hey, I'm going to the pastor. I'm, I'm going to talk to him because this just ain't working. Not going to be married. Goes to the pastor, counsels. Pastor says, so what's the problem? She said, I just, I can't stand him. I just don't like him. Don't want to be around him. Want to get rid of him. It's pretty honest. She said, can I do that? <laughs> and the pastor said, well, has he, is there infidelity? Is there abuse? Is there any of these things that would actually, uh, you know, give you clear direction biblically and from God's perspective that you could do that? And she said, well, no. And he said, well, then no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to justify just because you don't like your husband and you can't stand your husband. You're mad at your husband. I don't want to be married anymore. And she talked about this, started talking about all these other problems. I got this problem. I got that problem. I got this problem. I got that problem. And she's just mad at the world and angry at the world. So the pastor said, listen, I'll counsel you if you do exactly what I say. Come on, this is a good thing. I, I, if you'll do what I ask you to do, there's no more thing more frustrating when you're coaching someone, counseling someone, loving on someone, trying to support them, then they, won't, they, want, you to, they want you to tell them what they want to hear, but they don't want to do what they need to do. That's the most frustrating thing in the world. You know that with your kids, you know it with your spouse, and if you're in any kind of uh, professional counseling or schooling or ministry, you know there's nothing more frustrating than trying to get somebody to change and they just won't change. And he said, you got to promise me you'll do what, exactly what I do. So she said, okay, I'll do exactly what you want to do. So he came back the next time. He said, I want you to go home and I want you to make 12, uh, uh, excuse me, I want you to make a dozen cookies and I want you to go give them to somebody who you just think needs to be lifted. Someone need to be encouraged. What? That doesn't, what? I'm, I've got problems here, Pastor. What do you mean go bake some cookies? She said, just do what I said. You promised me that if I would counsel, you'd do exactly what I said. She said, all right. So she baked some cookies and she took them to some people that she thought might need encouragement. And she comes back next time expecting a lot of really good insight. And he said, I want you to bake some more cookies. And I want you to take them to people who you think need them. And she did it again, 
And, and, and she was mad, frustrated when she left the room because she was wanting some insight, some revelation. Give me some knowledge to help me get through my problems. And she didn't know it, but he was. And third time this happened. And then when she came back, the, the, was supposed to come back the fourth time, she never came back. So in his mind, she thought, well, she's just mad. She's just frustrated. She didn't like what I was doing. She's just not going to do what needs to be done. But then one day at church, she showed up. And she walked up to the pastor and she said, he said, hey, where you been? You didn't come back to your counseling. She said, oh, I don't need to, pastor. She said, I've been baking cookies for people and taking them to people. And as I've been baking cookies for people and taking them to people, I've I've begun hearing what they're going through. And I've been seeing what their problems are and how difficult their life is. And as I've just been baking these cookies and taking them to them as a gift and seeing what they're really going through, it changed my perspective. Now, I'm not focused on me and thinking about me all the time and what's in it for me and what, what, who's going to help me and what can be my take on the deal. No, she, she, she said, I, I don't think or see any of that. All I think and see now are there are other people who have needs and I can meet those needs. And I don't even need any more counseling because my perspective has completely changed I don't need to get some counseling or revelation on I just want you to know it changed my life to serve someone else see that's what love is it's not thinking or emoting or feeling it's doing it's acting it's saying I choose someone else over me oh that is so counter to our culture right now come on somebody Love is is an interesting concept. It's not a feeling, yet it evokes feelings. It's a choice. It's an action. Love is caring for others in a selfless way. It's thinking of others first. Boy, this is hard. It's deferring to others. Love is not as much about sappy feelings as it is about courage and kindness. Love is the most powerful force on this planet. Because God is love. I love what Mother Teresa said. She said, intense love does not measure, it just gives. Not judging, not measuring, not, is, you know, should I do this, should I do it? No, love just says, I should do it. I should care. I should think of someone else. I should have my mind on someone else. When someone else is hurting, when someone else is going through something, my love should force me into a place where I'm just like, I'm doing something about that. I'm going to affect someone's life. I'm going to do something that makes a difference. I'm going to give you three reasons why we love others. Three reasons why we love others. You should write these down. Number one, we should love others because Jesus commands us to love others. He says, love one another. He said that was the second greatest commandment. First John chapter 3, verse 22 through 23, it says this, And receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is the command, to believe in the name of Jesus, his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us to do it. Now, just listen to me and think for a minute. Remember, we talked about our love for God and what the expression of our love for God is. You know, people always say, well, I love Jesus. And, 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 you know, my life may be in a shambles. I may be doing my own thing. I may be running my own way and doing whatever I want. But I love Jesus. And what they're really saying is I like the idea of Jesus. I like the idea of somebody who forgive me every time I mess up. I like the idea of somebody who give me grace. I like the idea of this guy who was just so kind and nice and wonderful and precious. 
I like the idea of it. That's what they're meaning when they say, I love Jesus. But Jesus gave us a definition for loving him. He said, this is how I know you love me. So we just read, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus gave his life for all of us, and we should give our lives for our brothers and sisters. His definition for how we should love him is obey his commands. This is how I know you love me. You do what I say. When we just make this, this choice of spiritual ambiguity that just causes us to just kind of float around in our spirituality, just accepting anything and everything and accepting any behavior and every behavior and just saying, oh, Jesus got this, no worries, no problems. And the truth is that is not loving Jesus. That's loving yourself. I want you to hear me say that again. It's not loving Jesus. It's loving yourself more than you love Jesus. Woo-woo. Everybody got real excited about that. But it's the truth. Jesus wants us to obey him. And you know what? He said that, he said that we should love one another. That's the command. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. There was a lawyer that came to Jesus, and you've probably read the story, heard the story, but he came to Jesus. They were always trying to trip Jesus up. They're always trying to get him to say something he shouldn't say, do something he shouldn't do, because they wanted the religious people of the day to turn on him, and ultimately they succeeded, and he was crucified. But the truth is, this lawyer came to him, and he said, Jesus, you're obviously a great man of God. Tell us, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God. He was just quoting out of the Old Testament. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as you do yourself. And then the lawyer who was trying to trip him up says something very interesting. He said, well, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus goes into this long story about the Good Samaritan. Y'all remember the story of the Good Samaritan? And how the Good Samaritan, and the reason Jesus chose a Samaritan was because he's making a very valid point. He was crossing ethnic boundaries. He was crossing limitations. He was crossing prejudice. He was crossing bias. He was crossing it all. He was saying to Jews who hated the Samaritans because they were considered a half-breed. They were mixed race. And they didn't like them. They were unclean. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. So he uses a Samaritan as the protagonist in the story. He's the good guy. He's the great guy. He's the one who did what was right while the priest and the Levite did not take care of business. What Jesus was trying to show them was not just an affront on them. He was trying to show, he was trying to show them what love really looks like. Love looks like helping somebody else. That's what it looks like. This man was left half dead in the street. He'd been stripped of everything he had, everything he owned. Everything was gone. He was by himself, half dead, damaged, totally lost everything and a priest came by somebody who should know better somebody who had the 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 understanding of God and who God is and what this man would need but the Bible says he came up on him saw him and crossed on the other side 
My question to us today is if we're not allowing ourselves to, to, to look through the filter of real what love really is, th- then how many times do we see things, but because we've filled our mind and our heart up with so many other things, and we love ourselves more than we do God and more than others, that we find ourselves just crossing over on the other side. I'm too busy for that. Oh, that needs help, but I, I can't really do that. I'll throw a little money at that, but I don't really, I, I can't get involved in that. priest just walks on by levite comes he knows the law inside and out he's a scribe he knows exactly what's supposed to happen but he realizes if i touch him i'll be considered unclean so then i'll have to go through a process of being cleansed before i can go along my spiritual journey and go along and do my daily task so literally this man laying in the streets the levite chooses not to help him literally for inconvenience that man was consigned for all intents and purposes that that Levite knew to die in the street because it was an inconvenience to him. Think about that. But before you judge the Levite too harshly, before I judge the Levite too harshly, I have to ask myself a question. How many times has God prompted me to love someone else and instead it was too inconvenient for me to do it? I got, I, got, I got ministry stuff to do. I got other people to take care of. I got my family. I got my ball games. I got my activities. I got my job. I got my work. I got my life so full of stuff. I don't have time to help that person. We, we are literally consigning people to the demise of their life, the, 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 the death of their dreams, the defeat of their their, their persons because it's too inconvenient. Now, I don't want you to get condemned. I don't want you to be overwhelmed by that, feel guilty and ashamed. I don't want any of us to feel that. I just want us to change. Turn your neighbor right now, look him right in the eye, smile at him and say, I love you. And I got your back. Come on. Because in essence, that's what you're saying. So this Samaritan comes by. He's a busy man. He's obviously a busy man because he's a wealthy man. And he's walking by and he sees the man broke down in the street. And he stops and he goes over to the man. And the Bible says he took that man, he took oil to his wounds. He started healing him up. Oh, man. Believers, listen to me. Church online, listen to me. Listen to me. That is the role of the church. That is the role of believers to heal people up. To heal them up. Connor was praying in the, in the 21 days of prayer the other day. And we were, we've decided, Shelly decided we're going to give him a hashtag. Because he kept saying that over and over in the prayer. He kept saying, heal him up, heal him up. And so he's taught, praying to Jesus, Lord, heal him up. And so we're going to do a hashtag, heal him up. Because that's what the church is supposed to be. And that's what the Samaritan was showing the church of the day how to do. Listen, there are people in your world. You don't even have to go outside your world. I know we do global things and we'd love for y'all to go on a trip with us to missions and all of that. 
But let me just tell you something. You don't have to do that to find somebody who needs your help. You got somebody next door to you that needs your help. You got somebody in your classroom that needs your help. You got somebody at your work that needs your help. They may not look like it. They may not smell like it. They may not act like it. They may not appear to be someone who needs help. But I promise you, if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit and you'll study the Word of God, you'll find yourself helping somebody who needs help. Because God will reveal the help they need. So he did. He walks over and he pours oil into their wounds. He binds them up. He takes them, puts them up on his own animal. I mean, he gave up. He said, he, he, listen to me. He said, I'm going to walk so you can ride. I, I'm going to walk so you can ride. I'm going to use the gifts, the talents, the opportunities, the blessings that God's put on my life so that you can be helped. Not just so that I consume those things upon my own self, but so that I can use those things to make a difference in someone else. What's our vision here? To know God, to lead people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. So, so, so listen to me, church. Listen, we got to be like the Samaritan who stops and he heals up wounds and he puts this man on his own animal and he lets him ride while he walks. And then he puts him in, uh, he, he puts him in a hotel and he leaves and he says, I'm going to give you this three denarius, which was, which was th- uh, a day's, a denarius was a day's wage. So he gave him three days wages to take care of this guy. And when I come back, if he owes you anything else, I'll pay it. Now, before I move on, let me just give you a little side note theologically. We see that picture as Jesus teaching us what we should do as believers. We should be that person, not like the priest who passes by, not like the Levite who is too inconvenienced, but like the Samaritan who was a busy man but took time to take care. So so we look at that and we say, "I, I see the lesson, Pastor David. I see the lesson. I see the lesson that Jesus wants us to help others. He wants us to love because that's what love is. Love others. Love others. The second commandment is like the first. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Who's my neighbor? And the question is not, who's my neighbor? The question is, who will I be a neighbor to? See, what he said to the lawyer is you're asking the wrong question so often. So often we're asking the wrong question. The question isn't, who's my neighbor, God? If you'll show me, I'll do it. No. The question Jesus is asking us is, well, who can you be a neighbor to? Are they on your street? Are they on your block? Are they in your work? Do you love them enough to inconvenience yourself? Do you love them enough to be uncomfortable? Do you? I've been in so many uncomfortable situations because love put me there. I'm telling you, just uncomfortable. But what I want to show you is you see the lesson of this message, but you need to take a step back now and let's look at a broad theological perspective of this message. What Jesus was actually saying after he taught us this is how you act, he was saying, that is what I'm going to do for you. I am your good Samaritan. The religious establishment has let you down. The, the law establishment has let you down. It's pointed out your wrongs and your bads and your horribleness, but it hasn't given you a solution on how to fix all this mess. 
So you know what? You're stuck in the street and sin has decimated your life. And sin has caused you to be beaten up and beaten down. And you've lost everything in terms of spiritual context. And you're laying in the street left half dead. And the religious world may pass you by, but Jesus said, I'm not going to pass you by. And what did Jesus do? He comes and he, the Bible says he came to preach to the captive, to set the captive free, to, 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 to have the anointing, to, to open the eyes of the blind and give revelation. He, he, he talked to us about the freedom and the power of his grace. That's what he came to do. So what does he do? He takes the oil of the Holy Spirit and he pours it into our wounds and he heals up the hurts that we have. Maybe hurts that other people have put on us or hurts that we have put on ourselves. It doesn't matter to him. He he wants to heal it up and he starts binding up our wounds and how does he bind up our wounds he takes his word and he declares it over our life and he starts causing those things to heal it's time for some of us to stop walking around with open wounds and every time somebody makes us upset we poke our own wound we need to stop let jesus heal it up and come on move on somebody forgiveness is a powerful thing and jesus he healed up our wounds he 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 bound them up he he healed them with the holy spirit and then he didn't just say that he said look you can't do this for yourself you're broken you're beat down sin has ridiculed you it has relegated you to death and destruction but look i brought something with me my animal grace here get up and sit down on my animal And I'm going to walk the road to Golgotha so you can ride. I'm going to, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, that he who knew no sin became sin so that I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm going to let you sit on this animal called righteousness. And I, innocent as I am, am going to pay the price for your unrighteousness. You ride, I walk. See, Jesus wasn't just teaching us a lesson. He was revealing to us this thing called salvation. And what brought salvation? Love. Love for others. We just read it, our text. What was it? For God so loved the world. So, number two. Because... The second reason we should love others is because it is a testimony to the world. This is something I don't think people see. The Bible says in John chapter 13, verse 34, in the International Version, a new command I give you, love one another, as, as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know. You're my disciples if you love one another. Now listen, Jesus just doesn't say love one another. He says love one another as. Everyone say the word as. As I have loved you. In other words, Jesus is saying you love other people exactly the way I have loved you. I have exemplified love. I have given you something to emulate. You can now absolutely look at my life and you can do this. You can repeat this to someone else. I have given this to you. So do it. Remember from the last thing that Jesus said to the lawyer when he said, the right question is, who can you be a neighbor to? He said, who was the better neighbor to the lawyer? He said, who was the better neighbor? And he said, obviously, the Samaritan. He said, then go and do 
likewise. See, what we have to remember about love is it's a go and do concept. Love is not a, that's a good idea concept. Love is not a, wow, that was great that that happened concept. Love is not a lifetime channel tears running down your face. Oh, that's so sweet love. It's not that. Love is this grungy, gritty, get down and dirty, loving someone, inconveniencing myself, discomforting myself, thinking opposite of what I normally would, going counter to the culture, caring more for others than I do for myself. This is what love is. And Jesus did not say just love people in that ethereal uh, ambiguous, uh, ambiguous way. He, he, he said love in the sense that I loved. In other words, if this is how we know what love is, God laid his life down for us and we should also love, uh, lay our life down for others. Lay our life down? Seriously? It is so foreign to us to think that way. But you know, you know what I've noticed? Everybody admires Mother Teresa. I did not know her personally. How many of you did not know Mother Teresa personally? But we as a society and most cultures admire her. But that woman was a rough woman. You go read some of the things she said. It would not have been favorable to you and I. Because she stood on the standard of love and saw love as an action like Jesus loved. She wanted to love that way. And let me just tell you something. It's not just this soft, gentle thing. It takes a lot of us to stop thinking of ourselves long enough to think of someone else that needs help. Someone else that needs courage. You know, and I think even to a degree, we do a great job at Summit Church. We do a great job of reaching out to people who need to be reached out to. But we've got to do more than just momentary interactions. What happens to someone after we help them? Hey, Sometimes I wonder, please don't take offense to this. I say it to myself as much to you. Sometimes I wonder if our expressions of love really aren't more for us to feel better about ourselves than they are about actually helping someone else. I'm going to be honest with you today and say sometimes for me, I've done that. Because it does feel so great. Doesn't it feel great when you do something great for someone, you love them, you think of them before you think of yourself? It feels great. And sometimes that's why we do it, because it makes us feel great. Not because we really have the intent to love them all the way through the situation. Come on, everybody say love your neighbor. Come on, everybody say love your neighbor. Remember the words go and do. We understand love by the expression of Jesus laying his life down for us. Uh, This is why we do I Heart Canyon. Some of you may know what Our Canyon is, some of you may not, but Our Heart Canyon is we've gathered together the, the churches and the pastors and leaders of, of Canyon to help those who around, uh, around school time starting. We want to help get them in the right frame of mind. We want to help provide for them. We've done this for, I, I don't even know, eight, seven, eight years now, maybe seven years. I can't, somebody tell me, I don't know. But, but what we go through and we, I mean, 1500 students are helped every single year. There's hundreds of volunteers that are from every different church in this community. And we all come together to do it. And you know what? One of my main reasons for that is not just to help them, but to show the world that the church, even though we have different labels over our door, can work together 
together and can love one another and can make a difference in the world. Because the Bible says this is how men will know you are my disciples. He didn't say you're going to know my disciples if you can do miracles. He didn't say they'll know you're my disciples if you, if you uh, bless people. He didn't say you, you, you can be disciples if, 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 because you pray so well or people are going to know you're my disciple because of whatever great thing you can do as an individual. He said this is how people are going to know you're my disciples. If, if you love one another. If you love one another. So what does that look like? You know, I've gotten some great friends out of that. Some of my best friends are people who I've grown to love, pastors in this community, who I see now as best friends, and they see me as best friends because we decided we're not going to let anything keep us from being together. As long as we're preaching this right here and saying true to this right here, we're coming together. Everybody say amen. Oh, man. Y'all say amen. I say, oh, man. Time's running out. The third thing is because we need each other. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse... Um, let me see, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through 32. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. But one of the passages of Scripture in the very beginning of that says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. And then he says, For we are all members of one body. I want you to look at the people around you. Now, seriously, don't, don't mess with your pastor right now. Do what I ask you to do. Look at the people around you. Just look at them. No, don't look at your family. Look at the people around you. You know, it's so easy for us to come in and just sit down and sit down in a seat and get our worship on and listen to a word or get on church online, and listen to the word, but not be connected to the people of the body of Christ that God wants us to be connected to. We live in a time where we're disconnectedly connected. We have thousands of friends and we have no friends. It's a ridiculous time and a ridiculous. This is why the Bible says in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of yourself together as some have as they see the day approaching because it's good for edification and exhortation. We need each other. We're all a part of the same body. Think about it. I got a bad finger. Now, it's a really weird finger to be a bad finger. But I was told last night it's called, I've got something called trigger finger. I'm not shooting anybody, so don't worry about it. But something happens where a tendon gets stuck or something like that. And so this finger right here hits my middle finger, so don't be offended. But it, see that, how it sticks? And I'm going to have to get that fixed because it could get stuck like that. And it hurts. Last night it was hurting. I was in bed, just laying in bed, and I, it just started hurting. My hand started hurting. And you know what happened when my hand started hurting? My other hand came to its rescue. Have you noticed that? It was hurting, and I, I woke up doing this, just rubbing my hand. And my eyes came to the rescue. They were looking at my hand. What is wrong? What is happening? My whole body gave attention to my hand because it was in pain, and it was hurting. You see, God has put us in the body together. We need each other. You can want to be isolated all you want, but the truth is you can't be isolated and really be in the body of Christ because you belong to another body. And wouldn't it be odd if one part of the body, your leg was walking that way and your other leg was walking this way? At some point, there's going to become a problem, at least for this fat boy. <laughs> Jesus has put us together because we need each other. We need connection. We need relationship. We need each other. 
So I want to give you three ways to love your neighbor. We talked about three ways why we should love our neighbor. But I want to give you three practical ways to love your neighbor, and then we'll wrap it up. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, that equals love. So the first practical way to love somebody is to serve them. To be a servant. Now, this is, not, this is not something we necessarily want to hear, right? This is not something we necessarily want to do. Serving is hard. Serving is difficult. You have other things you want to do. But you know what I found to be truthful about my wife? Now, my wife, I don't know if y'all have read that, read that five, lang- five love languages. Uh, my, my love languages are quality time and uh, what, what else? I've got every one of the love languages. I'm just a very needy person. No, affection or, or words of affirmation, something like that. So, but my wife, her, hers is service. So if she wants to, here's the problem with the five love language theory. We always want to give our spouse our love language. So I give Janae quality time. She really don't want it. Sometimes I get the feeling she's saying, you could get away from me for a little while. The other morning she got up, she's going, I'm going to go run some errands real quick and come back. I got to do this, this, that. I said, hey, you want me to go with you? She said, not really. <laughs> she needs that time alone. She has tons of kids just yapping at her all week long. And then she comes home to this big kid yapping at her. And she's like, I really don't need that right now. And it's okay because that's not her love language. I'm not doing anything for her by hanging around her and just talking to her. I'm doing a lot for myself. Oh, I love this. This is so good to be together. And she's like, oh, this is just, it's great. <laughs> no, she loves to be around me, but that's not her love language. She doesn't need that all the time. But if I went out and built something in our garage, number one, it would turn out horrible, but she would, that would just stoke her fire, man. She would be like, oh, that dude loves me. When I, when I, to this, this, when we were sheltering in place, we thought, hey, we're not going to waste the time. I, we did every kind of project. I loaded so many rock beds and my truck was filled with rocks and filled with stuff all summer long, just hauling it and do, redoing our landscaping and all this. And man, she couldn't have been happier. This was like a happy, happy woman. She was happy. She was always happy. Why? Because I was serving her. Jesus came, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God, came to serve us. I mean, we see it exemplified when he washed the disciples' feet. Listen, I got news for you. If Jesus is okay with washing somebody's feet, there's very little I am not okay with doing. Who do we think we are that we can't serve somebody else? You know what I believe? I believe we really want to do that. I believe we lock ourselves out of doing that because we feel our lives so full that we can't find the ways and time to do that, right? So the first way is we serve. You know, our Summit Hospitality team, these ladies that you'll see giving you coffee and donuts and stuff like that, they do that and that's service to you. But do you know that they have created a ministry to assisted living centers that we help support every Christmas, but they take socks and they take blankets and they take all this stuff. You know what they're doing? They're not doing that because they want you to know that. They probably irritate them that I even told you that. But the truth is they do that because they are serving. 
They're not too good to think about somebody who needs help that a lot of people have forgotten about totally. Their own family members have forgotten about them. But somebody needs to serve them. Come on, somebody. Somebody needs to care. Serving is showing love. Love isn't just, oh, I just feel like those older people need some help. No, that's not, that's not love. Love is, all right, put on your gloves. Let's get some blankets together. Let's get some socks together. Let's go down there. Let's take care of this. That's love. Everybody hear me? The second thing is share. If you want to, if you want to love somebody, you got to share. Sharing equals love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. If anyone, listen to this, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. This is the Apostle John telling us, look, this is how you love. You share. Now, before you get carried away, he says nothing here about being the total source to someone's need. He doesn't say that you have to come up with all the money to help them or you have to impoverish your family to make sure they have some. He didn't say anything of the sort. What he said is, if we have material possessions and we see someone who's truly in need and we don't have pity on them, we have to ask ourselves one very important question. Does God's love really reside in me? We don't need to just be lovers in words, although that's very important. We need to love in action and in deed. Spread the joy. I love the, the Weber story a couple of weeks ago that just going over and above being uncomfortable, inconvenienced, but doing it and it's making a difference in a man's life. It's so important that we do this. And the third and last thing is speak. Everyone say speak. You just said it wasn't important to speak. To, no, I didn't say that. I said it wasn't as important, but it is important that we speak. Speaking equals love, but it does depend on what we speak. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only, (laughs) listen to this, but only what is helpful, building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. God is instructing us that we should speak things that lift people up in areas that they need to be lifted. And that other people will look on and see it and it will minister to them as well. So perfect example is Paul and Silas when they were thrown in jail for, uh, because of persecution. Because they were, they were preaching the gospel and they beat them and threw them in jail. And in the midnight hour when they could have been complaining, when they could have been mocking, when they could have been angry, when they could have been frustrated with God, when they could have been throwing up their fists and saying, this is ridiculous, we did nothing wrong, when they could have been fighting the government and fighting the politicians and fighting people around them and being mad because I don't deserve to be here. The Bible says in the midnight hour, they begin to pray and sing praises. Because they knew that all that other stuff would be overpowered by their prayer and praise. They wouldn't have to act out their frustration. They could just go to God and praise him. And the Bible says that when they begin to pray and praise, the chains fell off. The doors swung open, not just for them, but for everybody around them. Think about that for a minute. They set themselves free, but also everyone around them free by praying and praising God. 
Because the Bible says, as they prayed and praised God, the prisoners listened in. See, when we speak those words that are edifying to people and building up according to the needs they have in their life, other people are watching and they're listening and they're saying, man, that is a great, that is so fantastic. That is what love is. That's what love looks like. Love doesn't look like someone pointing their accusing finger at me saying how bad I am. Love looks like someone who's got solutions they're bringing to my door and saying, hey, this could be better. This could be different. God could do something great in your life. Love doesn't look like someone just talking trash all the time and talking bad all the time and talking complaining all the time the bible literally says in philippians do everything without arguing and complaining boy come on church we all need a little bit of that do everything without arguing and complaining but lift up your words to edify other people so that the needs in their life will be met and other people will see it and be ministered to so those are three practical ways serve share and speak Second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as you, sh- you do yourself. So why do we love? Jesus commands it. It's a testimony to people and because we need each other. How do we love? We serve, we share, we speak. Love is a decision. It's an action. It will provoke feelings. It will promote, provoke emotions. But it's more than words. It's action. It's more than a thought. It's a decision. It's more than a feeling. It's doing. God is good. Amen. How many believe Jesus loves you in here this morning? You believe it? Well, if you believe that, then just do what he said. Take that love and give it to the people around you. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand clap of praise for his word. Stand with me. Stand with me and we're going to close.